0: Thank you.
1: Good morning and welcome to Noblesville First, United Methodist Church, as we gather together for worship on this May 17th, the sixth Sunday in Easter. Today we're starting a three-week series called God in the Coronavirus. We're going to be looking at some of the theological issues that pop up from this pandemic and see if we can provide some, some helpful language for you to share and talk about this in the weeks to come. For you Facebook users, please go to your Facebook page and you'll see this Share Public button. Click that, and that will help let people know that you're watching us right now. might encourage them to do the same, or at least they may watch it later on. So please help us spread the word as we share our hope and our Lord Jesus Christ today. We'll hope that you'll join us after the service for a Q&A with Dr. Adolph Hansen. This will be a Zoom link. And I want to apologize to those of you that tried to get into our Zoom gathering this morning. We're having some technical difficulties with that link, so we're going to be posting a new link here before the service is done on our website. Go to that new link, and hopefully we'll have that conversation with Dr. Adolf Hansen. I think you'll find that very helpful. So please join me now in the responsive reading of the call to worship. The Lord has been our refuge and our keeper. It is God who has kept us from falling. Let our thanks and praise resound in this time of worship. Let our love and gratitude be shown in all we do. We open our hearts and spirits to God this day. Lord, be with us and place your hand of healing on our lives. Amen. Let's pray as we ask God to gather us together all in our each separate locations, but knowing His Spirit unites us all. Let's pray. Lord, bring your Spirit upon us and may it bless every person wherever they're at and whatever they're experiencing right now. As I talk to people, it seems that there's so many ups and downs. Some days are great, especially when the sun's shining, and other days we can get so down because we just don't know when the end will come. Uh, Sometimes we see a little light at the tunnel and then other times it disappears. So help come to each of us wherever we might be this morning. Help us to also be open as we try to receive some some new concepts, some new ideas that might help us understand how you work in our world and provide some language that might help us share uh, answers to people who have questions and people who are skeptical People who are worried, let them know that you are still in control, that you still are with us, and that even though terrible things sometimes do happen in this world, which this pandemic certainly is, may we know that you are still there somehow, ultimately bringing this world to your ultimate purposes. May we join you in that effort. Be with us now, in this hour, through Christ who is our Lord. Amen. Well, I have a number of uh, prayer concerns I'd like to lift up before we ask Pastor Aaron to move us into a time of prayer. Uh, I'd like to lift up as joy, first of all, Mildred Spurgeon, the 95-year-old mother of Brad Spurgeon, has been hospitalized, and she is now home. So it's just great to have that good news. We'd also like to pray for Suzanne Walton, who will be having knee replacement surgery tomorrow, and then pray for a colleague of Deb Smith's, Tom Burroughs. He's in the hospital And uh, gravely ill right now please keep him in your prayers let's also pray for our government leaders who are making difficult decisions for the safety of those in their state we pray for the people who are on the front lines people in those essential businesses those who are putting themselves into contact all the time help keep them safe help us to respect them by doing what we can to uh, practice safe social distancing and and wear those masks and we pray for all those who are working on treatments and testing and vaccines we know ultimately it's going to take those kind of answers to move us back into a more normal time in our world And we pray for the racial tensions in our country may we be mindful of the racism that still lies underneath the surface in our society may we be aware of that may we call it out may we pray for discernment and wisdom on how to uh, move past and deal with these root causes of racial divisions. And let's pray for our political divisions we're experiencing. Let's not let them get in the way of good health decisions. I saw a study uh, this morning that uh, if we can just get the public, 80% of the public, to be wearing masks and practice safe social distancing that can be as effective as a strict shutdown so that is the way being concerned for one another is how we'll get this economy up and moving again until there is a vaccine so please keep all these prayer concerns in your hearts and minds as well as the ones that are in your heart today let's join together in the call to prayer lord of mercy there were times this week when we felt alone Wondering where you were, we reached out to you, but we did not hear you respond. In this time of unsettling isolation, help us look around and find the many ways you are present with us. Help us to be still and know your comfort and grant us a spirit of patience so we may hear your voice. Strengthen us for the work of love and hope that you have placed before us. For we ask this in the name of the risen Christ. Amen. Now may this prayer hand move you into this time of prayer.
2: moment now in silence to lift up the prayers that are on your heart to God this morning. Loving God, As these days of isolation continue to move by us, even though we often forget which day of the week it is, encourage us with your Holy Spirit so that we can remain diligent in our efforts to preserve life in our communities. Our hair may be longer or grayer than we prefer. Our hands may be chapped and cracked. Our patience may be frayed. Our math teaching abilities may be stretched and our finances may be tight, but we are in this together. Keep us from anything or anyone that would divide us or insinuates that essential workers are synonymous with expendable workers or that the elderly should be sacrificed for the young. Help us remember O Lord that all life is precious in your sight. Help us demand protection for vulnerable populations for frontline workers, for prisoners, for small business owners, and for black neighbors who are 2.4 times more likely to be infected with COVID-19 than are our white neighbors. Keep us from the myth that youth or affluence will protect us. Guide our local state and national leaders to make prudent decisions about the pace of reopening. Let them be guided by medical science and not political pressure. Let us not forget, if the virus spikes again, we start over at the beginning, not somewhere in the middle. So as tiresome as it has become, continue to wash your hands, wear face masks, stay six feet apart, and resist the temptation to engage in risky behaviors. And Lord, we especially pray this morning for those who are sick, exhausted, and grieving. We pray for those who are experiencing heightened anxiety, depression, and loneliness. We pray for our school system's leadership who have had to make difficult decisions for the safety of all. We pray for an end to gun violence in America and remember innocent victims like Brianna Taylor in Louisville, Ahmaud Arbery in Georgia, and eight-year-old Roderick Payne Jr., and 17-year-old Naya Cope in Indianapolis. Heal our pain, ease our fear, fill us with a a unity of spirit, and spark in us creative energy to rise up to meet the challenges of this moment. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus, and now unite us in one voice, while in many places, in the prayer that you taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And parents, now it's time to round up the kids in just a few minutes right after the announcements there will be a wonderful children's message that they won't want to miss. I'd
1: like to share a few announcements, announcements with you this morning. On Sunday, June 7th is Senior Sunday and so we're going to be recognizing our graduating seniors and so if you would get into Tom Shriver McGreevy at Shriver at noblesvillefirst.com pictures of your senior whether they're high school, college, or even graduate school We'd like to recognize them, share what college they graduated from, high school they graduated from, uh, and where th- what they plan to do after uh, their graduation. Also, we want to lift up the blood drive. We now have this set up, and it's all planned well in our celebration hall on Monday, June 8th, from 3 to 6.45. They have a very safe social distancing plan. There'll be fewer appointments coming through, but you must have appointment to give. You can't just show up at the door. So please go to our website. There's a link to where you make your appointment. We look forward to making a difference as they're desperate for blood in this time. On Sunday, June 13th, 1 to 2.30, we'll hold a drive-through reception for Pastor Aaron Hobbs, Michelle, and Emma. Be held at door number one. Go underneath the portico, and uh, you'll be able to say hi from your cars and they'll be seated by the doors so they'll be safely away from you Uh, also please remember them with a love gift you can send those to the church in a card and you can make that out to the church or to Aaron either way just make sure you identify the uh, check as going to the Hobbs family love gift you can also go to our website where we have our giving options you can give online do the pull down menu and you'll find Hobbs family love gift there as well and don't forget the chance to dive in a little more after this. We're working on getting the new Zoom invite up on the website, so by the end of this service, uh, hopefully it will be there. And you better just click that and join us for a great conversation with Dr. Adolf Hansen as we talk about God's activity in our world. And finally, I want to lift up the family ministry team wanted me to uh, make sure we announce that we've officially canceled Vacation Bible School for this summer. It's just too difficult to ensure the safety of our children. And we believe that our parents, our families are worn out by all the e-learning to try to put together a virtual VBS. So now let's listen to what Possum has to say to us today.
3: Hi, Mason. Hi, Silas. Hi, Possum. Yep, it's me, Possum. I'm wearing a mask so that I don't spread germs to other people. Mom said I had to wear a mask if I was gonna be around others. Now, I feel ridiculous. Hey, guys, what you doing? Silas so and I are studying this verse from John. Sometimes Jesus says to us disciples neither can you unless you abide in me. Wow, that's easy! Abide means to live, right Mason? Well Possum, that, that's part of it. Think of it this way, Jesus told us that we should love God and love others and, and take care of them, right? So when we are kind and caring towards others, we show them love. I think that's kind of like living in God. Oh, how do you think God lives in me? Well, Possum, I think God gives us the courage to be kind and care for each other, animals, and for all of creation. God helps us to love and help others. So, God is looking out for me when you decide to wear a mask. And that helps to keep me from catching your jerks. That's right, and don't forget yourself. When you eat healthy food, exercise, get plenty of rest, and take the time to pray each day. You're taking care of yourself. God will help us do the right things, even when we would rather be selfish. This is the way that God lives in us, and we live in God. Oh, so when I wear this mask, it is like me living in God, because I... I'm doing what I can to keep others safe from germs that can help them. And it is like God living in me because I am showing kindness to others rather than being afraid that I look silly. That's right, Possum. But well, just one thing. I don't think that's the kind of mask mo- your mom had it in mind to wear around others. Really? But this is a nice helmet. What better protection from germs than a helmet? You may be right, but here, try this. Oh, you're right, Mason. This is much better. Hey, possum, who has two thumbs and where's the mask? Uh, I don't know, Mason, who? Disguise.
2: For our stewardship moment this morning, we'd like to lift up our wonderful Sunshine Friends Special Needs Ministry. Sunshine Friends has adapted to these unique times and over 20 people joined us for our Zoom talent show and fellowship time last Monday evening. Make plans to join us next month on June the 8th at 6.30 p.m. Teeter Organic Farm has also begun to make donations of fresh produce to local food pantries and feeding programs. 306 servings have been donated so far this season. Special thanks also to our Teeter volunteers who are in the process of clearing invasive plants and trimming trees in our CRP conservation uh, area. Your faithful giving allows us to engage in a variety of important ministries in our community. Thank you. As we come to this time of offering, we remind you that you can give through the Noblesville First uh, app at noblesvillefirst.com or by sending a check in the mail to the church office. Let's now ask for God's blessing upon our tithes and our offerings. God of power and mercy, you have not deserted us. We have been challenged and yet we know we have never been far from your redeeming love. We celebrate your relentless caring, not only with the gifts we offer, but with our voices and testimony. We want the world to see what it means to live in the light of your love and mercy Help us to guide our lives in your way and bless our tithes and offerings to your life-giving work. In the name of Jesus Christ, our rock and our redeemer. Amen.
4: Hi, we're the Hofsets family.
3: And today's reading is from John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Jesus' disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned so that he was born blind, this man or his parents?
1: Jesus answered, neither he nor his parents. This happened so that God's mighty works might be displayed in him. While it's daytime, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when
4: no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world.
1: After
3: he said this, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and smeared the mud on the man's
1: eyes. Jesus said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went away and washed. When he returned, he could see. Please be sure to make use of your faith first. That's on our church website. You'll find it under the worship link. There are scriptures that you can continue this discussion here, and reflection, and also there's discussion questions that can be used for your own personal reflection, or also in a growth group or a small group. Well, we're in the midst of a pandemic, it's a once-in-a-lifetime event. Even that word pandemic sounds ominous, doesn't it? I'm not even sure I used that word before the last few months, and I've learned a lot about them. I had never even heard of the 1918 pandemic that was known as the Spanish flu, which was misnamed, by the way, as we think it probably came out of the United States. That pandemic impacted one out of every three persons on this earth became infected in some way. It killed somewhere between 20 and 50 million people globally and 675,000 Americans. This is a generation-altering event, even more than the 9-11 tragedy that killed 3,000 Americans in one day. In just a little over three months, over 89,000 Americans have died because of this virus. And with something of this magnitude, it produces so much suffering that people begin to ask big questions. Questions like, where is God in all this? And that's what we hope to accomplish in the next three weeks is to deal with at least some of these big questions, to try to find some answers. We, we won't promise you definitive answers, but we'll dive into the Bible and find some things that are helpful there that will provide some theological thinking that I think might offer some language to help you think about this and also talk about it with your friends, especially those people that might be skeptical about God or people sometimes who misrepresent God by making claims about what God is doing right now. I want to invite you to take the time to read the rest of the ninth chapter of John. We just heard the first seven verses. That'll be enough for what we talk about today, but I want you to dive into that story a little more because you'll find that it continues on as it shares what happens to this man who was born blind but who now can see. And it's almost comical as the story is told. Some neighbors, knowing that that healing needs to be confirmed, take him to some Pharisees, and they question him and challenge him over and over. You see, the problem is this healing took place on the Sabbath. And according to the Torah law, you were not supposed to heal someone to use medical practices unless it was a life-threatening situation. And this, of course, was not since the man was born blind. It could have waited another day, according to Torah law. In addition, Jesus violated the Sabbath law twice because he worked by kneading together mud in order to perform that healing. And so there's some back and forth that goes on. It's a complex story where the writer of John is trying to contrast spiritual blindness with physical blindness. And because of their simplistic thinking, this man who was born blind has been considered a sinner for many years because God would never let someone suffer for that length of time unless he or somebody had done something wrong. That thinking by the Pharisees as well as by the disciples was based on a literal understanding of Exodus 20, verse 5, which states, Do not bow down to them or worship them, because I, the Lord your God, am a passionate God. I punish children for their parents' sins, even to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. The disciples held that belief that was still prevalent in Jesus' day, that God smiles and rewards those who are righteous in illness and tragedy are the result of someone who has sinned. And so the disciples have raised this theological dilemma with Jesus. They want to know who sinned, this man or his parents. It was a legitimate question because there were some rabbis that taught that a child could actually sin within the womb to explain these kind of situations. If they weren't such literalists, they would have remembered that the book of Job was placed into the Hebrew Scriptures to balance out this inadequate theology. Jesus' answer to that question was, neither. It wasn't this man or his parents who sinned, and he doesn't really give an answer. His response is instead, this is an opportunity for God to be glorified. God's ways are not our ways. God doesn't conform to our simplistic human categories And in the end, it was the blind man who ended up seeing and the Pharisees who thought they had all the answers who were spiritually blind. Now, it's easy to be critical of the Pharisees. They're often cast as the bad guys in our gospel accounts, but weren't they just kind of living out the basic human instinct that's still in all of us? There's this natural thing for us to want to remove ourselves from danger. If there's a clear explanation for why something bad has happened then we feel a sense of control then we can hold the belief that it can't happen to us or the people that we love are we doing this right now When we think about COVID-19 when we hear about somebody we know that who's contracted this disease our first thought is what was their age and then if that hits a little too close to home, then we want to know what were their underlying health conditions to give us another explanation. And if that's not enough, then we want to know exactly how they contracted it so we can avoid those same circumstances. And we do the same thing with cancer, don't we? We don't like living with the knowledge that we could die at any time from any particular cause that life does not promise us guarantees. We don't like the randomness of this world. And so because of this, we often adopt simplistic understandings of God's activity in the world to help us cope with these terrible things that happen in our lives or the people we care about. In the midst of a tragic shooting, you'll hear a preacher say, somehow God is in control. This is part of God's plan. At the funeral of a young man, this actually happened. This young man died in a mountain climbing accident, and the pastor said, We must see what has happened as God's will. And the father the young man stood up right in the middle of that service and said, The hell it was God's will. When my son died, God was the first one to cry. In a televised discussion between a Christian apologist and an avowed atheist, the Christian was stumped when he was asked if at all-powerful and an all-loving God is in control of what happens in this world, then why is there so much suffering? And you know, when we say these kind of things, whatever language we use, we have good intentions in our hearts. We're trying to proclaim that God is sovereign. God is Lord of all things. And God has a purpose for our lives. And all those things are true. Here's the challenge of our faith. See, when we talk about God, we often have to deal with paradoxes. It's often the case in our Christian faith that two things can be true even though they appear to be contradictory to our human brains. And Christianity's got a few of these. For example, we believe that God is one. There is just one God, and yet we also believe in the Holy Trinity, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe that somehow God is three in one. But how can that happen? How can there be one God and three at the same time? And we don't really know, except we still believe it's the best way to have a full understanding of God's nature. We also believe that Jesus is both fully human and fully divine at the same time, whether he was in heaven or here on earth. Again, how can that be? We're not sure how those both those both those truths can be present, but we believe they're biblical, and we think they provide the best way to explain how Jesus brings salvation to our lives. And the same thing is true when it comes to God's activity in the world. This is another paradox. God is omniscient, which means he's all-knowing, and yet he still allows human free will. We are free to make our decisions both good and bad, sometimes even when they impact others. And yet how does God know everything that's going to happen and allows us still to have that same kind of freedom? The answer is we don't know. But we know that God does in some mysterious way. God is all-powerful and God is all-loving, and yet terrible things still happen. Sometimes they're natural disasters, sometimes They are poor human decisions. If God is looking after us, then how do these bad things happen? Why is it that drunk drivers can cross a center line and kill an innocent family? Why do gangs get into a gunfight and a stray bullet goes to the house and hits a child who should be secure in her own home? Why do people contract diseases at way too young an age? But these and many other things still do happen. And the answer is that God has allowed evil to exist in this world. My guess is this is the only way that God could allow and ensure human free will. Otherwise we're puppets or robots who are not really free to make choices and that would probably be even worse. Now I know it doesn't provide the certainty we would like but it is the way of Jesus. When the disciples asked who sinned this man or his parents? Jesus' answer was, neither. Jesus is saying, forget about trying to find blame and at an attempt to make yourselves feel better. You're asking the wrong question. Instead, focus on God's purposes here. Focus on God's opportunities here. Our response when tragedy comes should not be to blame, but to trust in the God who is with us. To trust the God that has the power to use whatever this is for a greater purpose, to trust that somehow God will have ultimate victory over all evil and all suffering on this earth. And our response should be to try to join God in those efforts once we've found his comfort for the pain that we certainly experience. In a little while, we're going to hold a Q&A with Dr. Adolph Hansen. He was the former professor at the University, what is now the University of Indianapolis. He was senior scholar and administrator at Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary in Evanston, Illinois, which is on the campus of Northwestern University. And he's currently theologian in residence at St. Luke's United Methodist Church. Dr. Hansen was a former professor of mine and a former mentor of our incoming associate pastor, uh, Reverend Jill Moffitt. And he gave us permission to post the second chapter from his book, Three Simple Truths. I encourage you to read it this week. I think you'll find it goes in more detail and probably does a much better job than my feeble effort this morning to explain God's activity in this world. But he ends this chapter with a story that I'd like to share with you today. It's about a man named Chuck. He's 44 years old. He's the father of two sons. Life is wonderful for Chuck and his wife, Betsy. But then one day, those two boys are riding in an SUV with another family when they cross some railroad tracks and they're unable to get through the crossing before the train slams into them. It killed both of those young men. The grief was nearly unbearable for Chuck and Becky. Becky, I'm sorry, not Betsy. And thank goodness for that strong faith as the days and weeks went by, Chuck decided to share his faith with others. He even did interviews with the media. God was present with him in those most devastating circumstances, and that was his message he wanted to get out. And he had a capacity to do this at a very high degree because he was surrounded by loving family and friends, especially pastor, his pastors and fellow church members. And so a number of develops came from this tragedy. First of all, a fund was started to put railroad crossing bars at that railroad crossing. They called it the arms of Jake and Travis. Enough funds were raised that they even improved three other railroad crossings. In addition, the Finley Award for Excellence was started as a scholarship that's awarded each year to students that represent the same qualities that these two young men had. A few weeks later, Tony Dungy, who was fresh off his Super Bowl victory, was reading the newspaper, and right below the headline of the Super Bowl story was the headline of this tragic circumstance. And later, he accepted the invitation to come and help Travis' th- teammates deal with their loss. And also, Chuck started to meet with a group of fathers that bet every Tuesday morning at a coffee shop with 13 other dads And their journey together is chronicled in a book called Tuesday Mornings with the Dads, stories by fathers who have lost a son or a daughter. Looking back on these developments, Chuck said, I realized God had been at work seeking to bring good out of the tragic death of my sons, Jake and Travis. I also realized I need to cooperate with God in making this happen. Did God send this pandemic? No. And we may never know how it came to be. Jesus' answer would be, it doesn't matter. Regardless of how it happened, this is an opportunity to shine forth with God's love like never before. May we rise to that challenge as we, that we've been presented in this time. Amen. Now let's listen to the scripture from Psalm 13 as we prepare for Matt's message. This morning. How long will you forget me, Lord?
4: Forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I be left to my own wits, agony filling my heart? Daily? How long will my
1: enemy keep defeating me?
3: Look at me. Answer me, Lord my God. Restore sight to my eyes. Otherwise, I'll sleep the sleep of death, and my enemy will say, I won. My foes will rejoice over my downfall. But I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. Yes, I will sing to the Lord because he has been good to me.
4: Good morning. Welcome to, again to the Noblesville First livestream. I'm Matt Hantelman, one of the pastors here at Noblesville First. And I'm glad you're joining us for worship this morning. As we venture into this question series, I have to say that as a pastor, I find it difficult sometimes to be careful enough with my words on topics like this. And because we don't have the ability to easily interact over this stream, please, please feel free to reach out with follow-up questions or disagreements or counterpoints on this and, and really any message. I'd love to engage in discussion with anyone on these topics. And I'll start uh, by echoing Jerry's answer to this question. No, I do not believe God sent this pandemic. Again, feel free to let me know if if you disagree and we can talk about it. But really, now that that is out of the way, what I'd like to focus more on this morning is why people are asking this question and some of the follow-up questions to it. We should say that questioning God about these things isn't new. Wondering about God's role in suffering and bringing us out of suffering is apparent throughout history and Scripture itself, which is why I chose Psalm 13 for my Scripture this morning. The Psalms are full of people asking, Why God? and trying to reconcile what they know of a God that created good things and the suffering that they see. There's a whole branch of theology known as theodicy which focuses on trying to reconcile an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-good God. More specifically, it says if God knows everything, including things about evil, and is all-good, not wanting evil to be around, and is all-powerful, can do whatever God wants, then why wouldn't God just snap and get rid of all the evil? But That, too, is not really what I want to focus on this morning. Those arguments and debates are readily available in many different sources, and and I'd be happy to talk to you about them. But what I'd like to look at, as I said, is why? Why do people ask questions like this? Why do we? A quick note on we. For the purpose of this message, I'm using we in the societal collective sense. Not we, you here on the stream. Not we, Noblesville first. But we the population of the United States, or the people of the world, the collective we? Why do we search for non-natural causes for the pandemic? If God didn't send it, then who did? Was it Bill Gates or the deep state or some conspiracy theory? Even though medical experts have seemingly concluded that the virus mutated naturally and moved from animals to people in a wet market, We still look for reasons other than that to explain what's happening. And when I asked why at Thursday Worship, it was very aptly brought up that blaming is typically part of one of the early stages of grief, anger. The need to place blame on someone for an event beyond our control happens regularly. And we are in a time of grief, there is loss that is being experienced both through the actual death of people and the loss of our easy mobility and and all of those things. And the event being beyond our control is another reason we search for a cause. Humans don't particularly like being out of control of our own situation. So if we can find a cause that we can antagonize, it can be easier to cope. But when that cause is nature, when the catastrophe is a hurricane or a volcano or a virus, it's hard for us to reconcile our feeling of being out of control. I the a friend say something interesting about this. Um, starting If you start from the belief that God should be fixing this, And you see God not fixing this. He said, and I'm paraphrasing, but if God is good and work towards good and God isn't making the virus go away, then either God caused it, which is why God would not want it to go away, or there's evil in the world that is actively working against God, whether it be a person or an organization or even just entities of evil, Satan and things like that. And we look for a way to reconcile God not fixing it by clinging to theories that offer some sort of explanation. Because that starts from, again, the belief that God will destroy the evil in the world. And now we're back to that theodicy argument from before. And because evil isn't being destroyed, it must mean that the evil's also sentient. That there are people or entities actively pushing the evil to succeed. Because if it was just nature then God should be able to overcome it. Which leads to the other question that I think comes up in the minds of many people, which is, well, why isn't God helping? Why hasn't God fixed it? Why isn't God moving through this? And this is one of those questions that we don't often ask out of our mouths. I know a lot of times for me, what I say out loud is, God works for the good in all things of people who of those who love him, right? The scripture. And we say that as a way to convince myself that it's true when in my mind I'm doubting that because I don't always see it. I say I know that God will work to the good of all people of those who love him. But I don't always see evidence of that and so I I doubt whether or not God's actually moving. And again, I'd point back to the psalm that we read that this idea of wondering where God is in the midst of suffering has been true forever, and people have been waiting on God to show up and putting their trust in God that things will improve. But I also put myself in the shoes of the psalmist sometimes and wonder how long it took the author to get to the point where they could write the end of the psalm. When during the suffering were they able to say, but I trust in your unfailing love? because I think we see the end product of a long process in the Psalms. And some of us are making our way through that process and we're still just at the beginning. Our cries are still just, how long, God? Forever? And others are moving towards the end, trusting in God's love in the midst of what is happening. And wherever you are in that process, it's okay. Just keep moving forward But as to the question of why isn't God helping, I would also argue that God is helping through you and through others who step up. I'm currently taking a continuing education course on theological heritage that has me reading part of the book of discipline, which is the kind of the Methodist book of rules, but it also contains theology and history and and things for Methodism. And I came across this passage It says, we assert that God's grace is manifest in all creation, even though suffering, violence, and evil are everywhere present. The goodness of creation is fulfilled in human beings who are called to covenant partnership with God. God has endowed us with dignity and freedom and has summoned us to responsibility for our lives and the life of the world. God has endowed us with dignity and freedom and has summoned us to responsibility for our lives and the life of the world. If we're looking for God in the midst of the pandemic, we should be looking inward, to be filled with the Holy Spirit and love and grace that may overflow from us which is the same consistent theme that we always come back to. God's kingdom is coming. It will be a place where this suffering doesn't exist, where there will be no more tears and no more hunger. But it's not here yet. We as Christians have a responsibility to make here and now look as much like God's kingdom as possible. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is as much a prayer as it is a call to action. God wants to work through you to make this happen. God wants you to be the answer to someone else's Psalm 13. God wants me to work to spread God's love and grace and mercy and justice into the world. And this means that again, it's the same old song. We need to be working to live more and more in community with each other. Because the writer of Psalm 13 was probably going to have a hard time spreading the love and joy and grace of God to others during the time of suffering. The author needed a community of God followers to rise up and help. And in that community, once finding the hope of God again, the author would be able to help others when needed as well. We have the same situation now. There are those, both in our faith community and in our geographical communities, who need help, who need love, who need food, who need a phone call. And maybe that's you right now. Maybe it was you, and it will probably be you again at some point. And others who are not there now can provide for the needs of their community. That's how God works during the pandemic through people who answer the call to bring the kingdom of God here, now. Amen.
1: Let's uh, now pause for our benediction, and then we'll have the choral benediction and followed by Cindy Romano's live postlude. Yes, we live in a world full of uncertainty. Most of us will experience tragedy somewhere along the way, but our faith provides the knowledge that God is ultimately in control. And that hope will get us through this day and the strange time we now live in. Amen.
0: Go in the great-